0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery, Amarillo's first downtown brew pub. The food and beer are both amazing, but beyond that, after less than a year in business, Six Car is already one of the most community-oriented establishments in the city. They support local nonprofits, They're, they're built around honoring the history and spirit of Amarillo. It's already one of my favorite places. Follow at Six Car Pub on Instagram. This episode is also sponsored by SKP Creative. Are you having a hard time making social media work for your business? It can be more than a little tricky to figure this out on your own. So talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to help your business grow and thrive. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative. Make it happen. Today's guest is Derek Weathersby. Derek has one of those Amarillo stories that pop up pretty often. He grew up here, and then he moved away and built a career, and then he came back. Today, Derek is an art and graphic design instructor at Amarillo College and a working designer himself. But he also does something unique even in the design world. He creates fonts. In fact, you probably see fonts Derek created every time you go down the chip aisle at Walmart or watch an NFL game or see a Taco Bell commercial. They're everywhere. And they started here. Here's Derek Weathersby. Derek Weathersby, thanks for being on the Hair Amarillo podcast. I appreciate Uh, it.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. I feel Honored to be on here.
0: Well, uh, the honor is mine. I want to talk about all the stuff you do. I, I know there's a lot that we can talk about in terms of graphic design or typography or teaching, but before we get to all that stuff, tell me how you ended up in this area in the first place.
1: How I ended up in Amarillo. Yeah, so what brought you to Amarillo? So my parents brought me here. Um, So my parents are from, my dad's from Plainview. My mom is from Odessa, I believe. I should probably know that, but I believe.
0: You should ask her. I should
1: ask her, right? Um, And so I was born here and I lived here my whole life. I left when I graduated from high school, like almost immediately that summer and went to TCU. And I studied design there. I got a job right out of college and I worked um, until... I guess I worked there for around five or six years in a studio, and then I moved back to Amarillo, and I continued uh, to work for that studio for a good year or two, I think, um, just remotely.
0: And this was like in the Metroplex area? Yeah,
1: so I mostly lived in Irving uh, while I lived there. I lived in several different areas um, within the Metroplex, but Irving was a place where I lived the longest. But I, I would drive into Dallas every day and work at a studio called El Creative. It was a... Initially started out as a studio, which was uh, the, the, which whose niche was that we could do Hispanic marketing as well. Um, over time, that became less and less of what we did um, as a studio, but that was I think how we kind of uh, we got our foots in the door with a lot of with a lot of clients there.
0: This was when what what's the. So
1: I graduated in 2007, and in 2007, um, right immediately upon graduation, I had a job um, at the studio. (laughs) Um, And initially, when I started working there, I was making hardly anything because they hadn't actually intended on hiring anybody. It's just that um, I tried really hard to make myself kind of indispensable there. So they had, you know, they didn't have the capability, for example, of building websites and I had never built a website before. Um, I had a little bit of training in college, so they had a website project come up and I was like, I can do that. And then, so then I would stay up every night until one or two learning how to figuring I, out how
0: to do what you'd promised you could do.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I were to look back at that code now, it would be atrocious, but <laughs> it worked. <laughs> it was functional.
0: Where did, uh, where'd you go to high school here locally?
1: So I went to uh, I went to P- I went to Paladera High School. Um, so we, my family, we all started off in San Jacinto, that San Jacinto area. And mm-hmm. I went to San Jacinto um, up until fourth grade, and then I went to Robert E Lee, and then I moved on to Will Rogers for fifth grade. And then I was in part of the magnet program, um, which sounded great when I was young, and my parents wanted me to do it. Um, I went to Sam Houston for. I think half the year, and I just absolutely hated it. And my parents are not the type of people who would just, like, allow me to transfer um, just because I didn't like something. They're (laughs) definitely not that sort of people. But I think there was a morning when my mom just saw in my eyes, like, tears welling up in my eyes, like, I hate this. So I moved back over. um, I went to Horseman, where all of my friends were. And it was dirty and gritty and grimy, but it was it was home. You were was, happy there. I was happy there. I loved it. Um, and and so
0: were you always a, a creative type?
1: Um, I I when I was young, I guess I kind of thought that I was creative. I mean, I was always drawing things, um, which is actually something that I do less and less of these days, and that's not a good thing. Um, but even now, I I have a hard time calling myself an artist just because I I am in a day to day basis. I feel like what I'm doing is is really just a bunch of problem solving. I mean, to me, it feels more like solving math problems than it does um, this personal expression.
0: Tell me about the decision to go away to TCU. So, I mean, you had family in Amarillo, went to Paladuro. Why did you choose to move away for college?
1: I really wish that I had this great answer to that question, but honestly, I do not have a great answer to that question. It's so that that is a really weird part of my life that I'm trying to fi- that I, I, to this day I try and figure out why did I go there. Um, I know my dad thought very highly of TCU, and I know that they offered me some academic scholarships, some pretty significant um, academic scholarships. I don't know why I chose to move away, though. I really, like, honestly, I wish Like, I it could.
0: wasn't a, I've got to get out of here. Instead of going to Emerald College or WT, you, you wanted to.
1: Well, at the time, yes, I, the part of it was that, you know, I was going to go into graphic design, and I had this idea that that was not something that was available here. Um, and so t- given that TCU had offered me these scholarships and I had heard pretty good things about TCU, that's where I ended up going. This this is the silliest part about my whole trajectory is that I don't really know why I ended yeah. up at TCU. I don't honestly. So you,
0: but you were there for a while, and then you graduated and took a job in that area. Um, tell me about the process of deciding to come back here. How did that work?
1: So I, when I first started design, again I did not know what that was, and most of the people around me did, like they were cultured in some way. Um, and, you know, with the arts, and I just... I You I hadn't really, had the re-
0: exposure to it, really. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I, re- I mean, like I said, I didn't know what graphic design was. All I knew was that I liked playing games when I was young, um, and I think that's something that still persists with a lot of people who like doing a thing, and there's not a separation in their brain between I like doing this thing and I want to make this thing. Um, really, the only reason why I stuck with it was because it was this really competitive program, and competition is involved. Like, I'm game, and like... yeah. I kind of worked my way up pretty quickly um, in the studio um, that I was working in, just not because I was great, just because I was. I'm very self conscious um, about my utility um, within right. a place, and so I worked very hard to get to get better. And I also had some awesome people around me. Like I, I will always attribute anything I do type related to a guy there named Brian Keith. He would sit down next to me and see the work, the work that I was doing. He would just push me aside and. He would throw my type around and it would look infinitely better. And that, you know, I do that now to people. Like, I feel like everybody needs that to happen to them at some point to just be pushed aside and say, here's how you do it. Let me fix it for you. Let me fix it. And now you observe how I'm doing that. But there became a point at which some of the things that I wanted to do, um, I felt as if I was either cheating the company. You know out of my interest or my time or that I you know, there there were even some instances where I just felt like my goals were just not really aligned with what they were wanting to do and um, it started to breed a little bit of unrest. I think toward the end of my tenure working there that's really when my interest in creating custom type really started to kind of blossom but there's a whole other side of why um, I ended up coming back to Amarillo which is a little bit of a darker thing, um, which is that I started to fall into this uh, real bad sort of mental state. Um, and at the time, I felt like, I, you know, being around people that I was familiar with um, would be a help. And to some degree, um, it was. But also, my wife and I were getting ready to... We, we knew that we were going to have kids pretty soon. Um, so us wanting to have kids, me feeling like I wanted to do things that were a little bit more specialized than what I was doing um, at my studio job and me going through this state where I felt like I needed a little bit more support um, from family and just people I know. And even just having our Saturday morning football game every Saturday, like I missed stuff like that. I mean, it sounds silly, but in my life, like that was a, and still is a really big thing. Um, So that, that sort of stuff is the kind of stuff that brought me back. I'm to Amarillo,
0: you came back to Amarillo intentionally, you know, as an adult and and after having graduated and built a career. What was it like coming back here, you know, after leaving when you were in high school? Did it feel different? Did it feel, hey, I'm I'm back home. I'm more comfortable. I mean, what was what was the process?
1: Well, I feel like I had changed quite a lot as a person by the time I came back, and I didn't realize that until I came back. I mean, growing up, Amarillo was just Amarillo. It was home. Um, I never noticed. Like for example, I never noticed that it was windy here. I don't know how I never noticed that, <laughs> or that it's that it that it smelled so bad here. I never noticed that. Um, you were
0: and, a kid, you know. I, yeah, you're distracted.
1: So I met my wife, who um, initially, upon meeting her, we were um, socially and I guess like pseudo politically um, quite a bit different in the way we thought about things. And what happened with us is something that I feel like happens with a lot of people is that you know the the extremes of one another kind of. <laughs> even one another out. Um, so when I came back, there was a bit of a, I don't know if I would say, it, it's not quite a culture shock, but it did make me realize how much conservative and in some regards, as it pertains to design, for example, um, the, it, it seems like there was not really any appreciation for or a, awareness of um, the importance of graphic design specifically um, and even just socially. I've, you know, I just started to be, feel like um, there are a lot of people who are just stuck in their ways or, or dug in and, um, in a lot of ways, and there's probably lots of better ways to...
0: <laughs> but maybe a, a lack of imagination, whether it comes to, um, you know, is, is involved with creative endeavors, graphic design, music, whatever. It, having been in a much more diverse place like Dallas, mm-hmm. and coming back here, it was a little more closer-knit, and because it was more closer-knit, there was less variety, maybe.
1: Sure. I guess complacency would be a better word for what I'm getting at, at least as it relates to the arts. Um, And there are lots of things about Amarillo that... Is is beautiful. Well, you came
0: back for that sense of community. I mean, that's a big part of it.
1: Absolutely, and so like, and so for example, you know, the 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 cliche sort of event that is actually a real thing is like if you see somebody if somebody breaks down in the middle of the street or highway, like they're not going to be that way for long. There's going to be a gang of guys. You'll have six
0: guys (laughs) pushing that car toward the side.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, I love I love this place. I mean, I'm always going to see it as home. But when I came back, you know, I was just a little bit more aware of things um, that I would have not noticed when I was young just because, oh, this is home. Um, Things that I really wish were better, that could be improved. And being a designer and fresh out of college, you know, you're on fire about all the things that you're Right, you're you're opinionated
0: and you you know what needs to be fixed. Absolutely. Did you intend to get into teaching when you came back? Was that on your radar?
1: I don't think it was. I think the first inklings I can remember of... Even an ability within me to teach. It was when I was working in the studio. I taught myself how to code, and then eventually I taught myself how to do it more properly. Um, and so I ended up teaching other people within the studio how to do it, and that became eventually a thing that was one of our, you know, one of our main offerings is um, web development. So that I think was probably the first inkling that I had that oh maybe I have the ability to teach other people.
0: Um, Plus, and, you were already opinionated about it, and absolutely. you know that's that's an important part of it too. And yeah. you, you had that desire to educate people about what was good and what was working and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: Absolutely, and and some of that comes just from working, um, just from working as a designer. Um, that's something that is one one you know you as you know it's one of our uh, biggest jobs is is educating people on w- why this is even important. Because I understand as a as a consumer of other things. If you, you know, if you're going to ask me to spend hundreds, thousands of dollars on something, you need to tell me why that thing is important. You know, why I need that in the first place. I hear a lot of designers complaining about the lack of you know willingness, you know, to put out money for design or feedback from clients that the designer doesn't really um, feel respects for their craft. And a lot of times, the case is really that that designer is not doing their job in educating the client. Okay, first, here's what I'm actually offering you. I'm not just making you pretty pictures. I'm not just making you this pretty logo. I'm I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to capture this vision that actually represents you, and also think about how it's going to exist in lots of different physical formats. But also, you know, imagine how does this uh, reflect you know the tone of voice uh, you know when you're writing. How does that reflect the, you know the tone of your verbiage? Um, you know, if you browse the web, you'll find this all over the place. Designers complaining about yeah about cli- clients, clients' opinions, and these these sort of memes about uh, clients' responses. A lot of that, I think, falls back on the designer um, because I mean, you can you can resolve a lot of those issues uh, when you just have proper communication at the outset of a project. I know that unfortunately from experience um, and, and being candid about that stuff is something that I feel is one of my biggest assets and being, a, you know, being an active designer right now Um, while I'm an instructor um, is something that well for one thing I don't know how people can teach design and not be doing it at the time it's a really odd thing to me Um, but I think it's a big asset for me because I can tell students for example uh, you you know you're gonna present three logos three different um, options don't show anything that's bad because I'm gonna pick it you know and you're gonna have to roll with that for the next two months and then but at the same time I can say, hey, look, I just did this like two months ago. I was trying to deliver quantity over quality and I delivered this to a client. And then I, I have pulled up my email and showed them this really long email thread where I wasted about seven or eight hours yeah. convincing a client not to use a logo. It's that, that
0: real I, world experience that they don't know is gonna happen. You yeah. Know, regardless of what happens in the classroom, you're you've gotta be prepared for that.
1: Absolutely. Talk to me about
0: Emerlo College um and and teaching their as its design department has grown. I mean, you said when you went to TCU, you didn't really see a lot of good options here locally. Mm -hmm. Say you've got other students now at Paladuro who have learned some of that stuff and, and are looking at Amarillo College or WT as an option. What's your perspective about
1: that now? Absolutely. I would say one of the biggest reasons why I decided to come teach at Amarillo College is that I just started to look at the specific people who were teaching there. So I, so John Chaka was um, he was the instructor there before I came along, and I just looked up him personally because that's who the students are going to be dealing with mostly when they get to their upper level classes. So the people who are actually teaching to me is the biggest key. I mean, it's baffling to me. For example, when someone's been through a curriculum or they're a year and a half into their curriculum and they don't know they're not they don't know anything yeah. about what their instructors have done. I, I would say the biggest asset, and the reason why I would tell people, hey, um, AC is a great option, is that you've got people who are not just telling you about something that that they've read about or that they did 20 or 30 years it's ago. It's not an ivory
0: tower sort of thing. You've got working designers teaching design classes. Absolutely.
1: And, and you've got working designers who are still messing up. We're still making these same mistakes, and so – as I make mistakes, this is something that's happened so many times. As I make mistakes, I can point it out, you know, in real time and say, hey, guys, look what I just did. You probably shouldn't do that because um, this is really unpleasant for me right now. And I've just like lost $500 because of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, when I worked there at uh, El Creative, I started there right out of college. They're like the first project that I did. I was working on some T-shirt designs for a commercial. Um, and we were we were doing some commercials with. Uh, Wingstop, Troy Aikman was their spokesman at the time. So like within the first month of me working there, I was on the set and I was seeing all the interactions and how that worked, how a commercial shoot is done. But then also as part of that same connection, I ended up writing radio scripts um, for for that same project in the same. I was telling somebody the story this morning because a, a student was like, how are we supposed to do this? Um, and in days when I assigned this logo project so I was like well when I was working in studio I got a call at 11 a.m from my my boss and he told me hey we're working with the, uh, extreme home makeover um, if anybody doesn't know that it's that show where they come and tear down your yeah. whatever it is your house your building come back in a week and it's this amazing thing. We got a call from them, and it was like 11 a.m., and it was like, yeah, we need this by around 2.30. We need you to brand this animal sanctuary that this family is running, and we need it by then, and it's going to be on TV. Awesome. (laughs) Good luck. My particular niche dealing with type design, that's something that maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think that that's something that, that anybody really around here knows, and I only know that just because I've tried to seek it out when I first started and i just what i ended up doing was instead i just started emailing and blasting um, people who did work that i really admire like a guy named mark simonson he designed um, one of the typefaces that is most used in the world right now and i just emailed him and he he gave me so much helpful advice it was you know it makes me feel this obligation now to to do the same when somebody emails me i'm like ah i don't really have time i'm tired but people that i've reached out to who you wouldn't think would actually have the time or the willingness to help you um I know I've tangented from the question here, um, but that's a thing that I've found is that if you really want something, just reach out to those people who do it how you want to do it, who do it well, and you'll be surprised at the response that you get.
0: Let's talk about that specialty because I you know I know a lot of people, just because of the way the computer world has grown, they have a sense of what graphic design is. Sure. Maybe they've heard of programs like Photoshop or Illustrator or even have worked you know, minimally with choosing a typeface, you know, because they're in Microsoft Word or whatever, and they want to pick between Times and Helvetica. But tell me about the actual process of designing a typeface and what that world is like. Because, I mean, you're correct. There are a lot of designers in Amarillo, probably are very few typeface designers. Um, So talk to me about that. What's involved? um, You know, how'd you get into it?
1: The way that I first got into this is that I was working on one project, and I wanted a specific type of font and it was not one that I could find existing. Like I could find some, I could find some typefaces that were really close to what I wanted. Um, but they were either not really well executed or there was just one little element of it that was missing. Um, so the first typeface that I designed was one called franchise. And at the time I can't remember what project I was working on, but I wanted a typeface that had, that was, it had this real strong quality about it. That also there was down the street for me, there was this billboard that it had like these, it had some, some numbers, um, and a couple letters on it that look like what you would see on a scoreboard. And there is something that, about that that I really wanted. And so I just started making the letters myself, just in illustrator, um, just kind of modifying letters. And that's something that I had been doing for a while. I mean, that was something that was taught to me by um, the same guy who first got me really um, focused on doing typewrite you know if you're designing a logo for a client you know outline those letters um, and don't just leave it as that same f- as the font that it comes with you know like make it at least a tiny bit Customize unique it a little bit. Custom- yeah absolutely so that's something i had been doing for a while so i just started drawing a few letters and and then i started seeing in one letter oh that almost looks like uh, like a, a p oh i can make that into an r you know i could just start to see the connections in the dna of the letters uh, when i was doing that so I just decided, hey, I'm going to make this into a font. (laughs) Keeping in mind that I had had no idea what that process involved. So for me, what that process involves um, is still creating letters in Illustrator. um, Which means
0: you are like actually doing it by hand, you know, with mouse clicks and stuff like that. I mean, it's
1: absolutely the pen tools, you know, for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's the most basic tool that you can use um, in, the, in the most common software we use to create um, you know, adaptable artwork and logos and that sort of thing. That process for me usually um, starts with some sort of inspiration. Um, and I only mention that because a lot of people ask me, like, how do you come up with the font? I don't usually just like squeeze my head until some idea pops out usually there's something that i've seen um that i see in which that thing was a full set of letters that it was this modular set of letters and so i start to explore and see what that might look like and eventually if i if i find myself still working on it beyond like uh, 12 or 13 characters that that usually means like yeah i'm probably going to turn that thing into a typeface and then ultimately into a font A lot of people, that that process involves a whole lot of sketching, Um, and if I didn't do it myself, I would probably be telling people, you have to sketch, you have to sketch, because that's what I do with every other sort of design, logo design and posters and that sort of thing. But for me, it just happens to be the case that I don't do a ton of sketching um, with type, because I usually, like I said, I usually have a pretty good idea of what I want to do just based upon some inspiration. Um, so then I will build um, them out, individual letters. Yeah. Uh, and at that
0: point, it's almost a mechanical process. I mean, you're you're absolutely. creating the lines and the curves and all those different parts of the letter.
1: Absolutely. Um, that's part of, to me, why it's so rewarding is that you get to enter into this weird world of, uh, you're basically solving these, these little riddles. It's just a series of riddles. So most of the time with any... Any typeface or font um, it, that looks consistent, that looks like uh, a professionally designed typeface, there's really a, a, a small set of shapes that everything is based upon, um, and you just have to find different ways to to arrange those shapes so that they, for one thing, remain unique. I mean, why design a typeface? You know, I don't I don't see any reason for me to design another Helvetica or another Garamond. Like there are so many of those, I have no interest in that. Um, so finding ways to, to take these shapes and make something that's um, unique but also still looks like the alphabet that we're familiar with, that's the line that I'm always trying to straddle um, because I don't think any of the typefaces that I've designed are ones that I would say, yeah, you should probably set a book in that typeface. Right. Um, because like I said, that's just not where my interest lies. I, I tend to um, lean more toward really funky things which are right on the edge of being what I like to call ugly. Um, but if it's ugly consistent enough or it's funky consistently enough, then it turns into this thing that's really cool and really unique.
0: You get tired of reading that. Pretty Absolutely. Quickly. How many, <laughs> uh, just commercially speaking, how many fonts have you designed?
1: I believe I'm around 10 or 11 right now. I have like three on my computer that are somewhere between 60 and 90% done, which is bugs me really badly like as we sit here right now my brain is just screaming yeah, at me, you're, you're seeing
0: s's and r's and yeah, numbers, th- numbers and stuff yeah
1: that so there's a typeface behind where we're talking right now this is black letter typeface this is modern black letter typeface um which is something that i've always kind of wanted to do and i just kind of stumbled upon doing that and so that's one of the ones that's in the works um, describe
0: black letter to people who don't know that sort of description and typography
1: so it's a it's a sort of a lettering. It's usually pretty ornate and really thick, and and it's 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 a precursor and a and a more refined version of what people, or or, or actually, I would say probably less refined but more authentic version of what people probably mostly would consider something like old English, yeah, now. like a medieval
0: calligraphy yeah. sort of thing with really heavy strokes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you see a chunk of black letter, you like know. Like a lot that, of
0: tattoos. Absolutely. You know, might have some black lettering.
1: Absolutely. There. And and it, I mean, it's called black letter for a reason because it's really dense and those strokes are really thick. Um, and the legibility, um, the legibility can go down just because when you have really thick strokes, like the, the the circle inside of an O, for example, becomes smaller, which makes it harder to read. Um, so my whole idea was like, can I do a black letter type face, you know, which in my opinion, is inherently a little bit hard to read and do it in a way that not only um, is cool and fun to create, uh, but that also has some relevance. Um, and by when I say that, I mean, I'm using some sort of technique, um, you know, that hasn't been done a billion times already. Okay. You know, and so, I, you know, I could... I could You're find not s-
0: repeating something, you know, that you could find elsewhere.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I could find some old manuscripts and, you know, I can just trace those letters out. But for me, that's, that's not fun at all. So again, with this, this type um, here, this, this one that I'm working on, I, I did the same thing that I've done with several of my typefaces, which is that I'll start with around three shapes and I will try and create as much as I can from those. And then, you know, at some point you have to strike a balance. It's like, okay, I got to move away from this aesthetic to actually make this look like a y, you know, yeah. um,
0: where have you seen, uh, you know, be- because you've created these and then you've made them commercially available, where have you seen them used?
1: One of my typefaces is the one that I see most often, um, I see it used at least around 10 times every day in just random places. What's it called? uh, The one that people use the most is called Franchise. Okay. And so if I walk through the store, down the chip aisle, aisle, for example, right now I know of around seven or eight different chips brands that I can pick up and they have it. Um, it, I've seen it on Billboard Games in Finland. Um, I've seen it on at least 20 um, motion pictures. Um, I see it on Netflix um, all the time. Uh, when I go to Walmart, uh, I see it on around 10 shirts each
0: time I go in there. Um, so people have seen your work it, all over Walmart and the grocery store and stuff like that. They just don't know that that just, was a typeface, a font that originated here in Amarillo.
1: Yeah, if you go into a Starbucks right now and you pick up a bag of French roast, like that's some stuff that, that I created or their anniversary blend um, I mean, it, it's it's really it, this sounds like a like a sort of self, you know, trying to pump myself up. Well, but I mean, really, you're here to talk about yourself, so <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> um, I it's really hard for me to think of, you know, pretty large companies that I, that haven't used it, haven't used the type. That is pretty cool for the most part. Um, one of the coolest things that I've seen it on is not actually one of those big companies. You know I've seen it on the like, NFL network and you know all the major sports. One of the coolest instances of somebody using my type, and it's more about the personal connection was that this guy, I think he was in New Zealand, He used it to design all the graphics for this, uh, I think it was some sort of medical, Building, um, but the way that he used it was just really beautiful. But the, the really cool thing about it was that he wrote me, and and he was just so appreciative of the fact um, of just the fact that I had designed this typeface, which he he felt the you know he really understood the value of what it added to what he was building, and he was just so appreciative. And that
0: well, which stopped. is pretty rare because most common users, even graphic designers, they they pick from their toolbox of fonts, you know, all the time, and don't always think about. The person who created that font, whether they know him, you know, Garamond or somebody like that, or you know, whether it was somebody like you. And so to have someone actually seek you out and say, hey, thanks for for creating this. That's that's unique.
1: Yeah, it was. That's something that it, it kind of changed the way that I approach dealing with licensing. Um, just, just it's hard. It's easy to you know want to license write licenses that make you make the most money that you possibly can. Um, but then it, it put me back in the role of designer because I myself I use I use fonts every day. Like there's a font package that I wanted to buy this morning, um, which is ridiculously cheap, way too cheap than what I think. Font should be uh, sold for right. um, as a
0: creator yourself. I absolutely.
1: Mean. So I have to go back and forth and straddle this line. But one thing that has changed a lot about the way that I deal with design and teaching is that I am very, I'm very much an advocate for obeying proper ethics when you're dealing with type. Because I, you know, I the thing that I do is I have to. For whatever reason, we we just we, we make this an abstract concept that somebody actually created this thing, and we're purchasing the purchasing a product that someone has created and put time into. I have to, you know, say are you just going to walk in and steal my table, or, you know, right? Like, you know, or steal a guitar from my shop. You know, i just I've got to find analog examples because there's just this disconnect. But I spend a lot of time just talking about um, the ethics of typography specifically, just because. The, the natural impulse, if you want to move beyond whatever fonts are on your computer, is just to start um, searching free fonts. And if you if, if you search some font, you're going to find any font you want in the world that's ever existed for free. Anybody who wanted any font that I've ever created, they could have it in 20 seconds from now uh, for free. And I and I you don't see a
0: dime from I that. I don't see
1: a dime from that. you know. And so one of the things that surprised me, that has surprised me, and it's actually it's pretty awesome – is that the people that I've found um, who really seek out and try to do the right things and licensing things are people like myself, like the people who seem to get the most worked up and want to know that they're doing everything um, right? It's not the it's not the Taco Bells or the WalMarts. Right. Um, <laughs> that would be a whole separate. <laughs> it's not it's not those folks. It's just people. It's like a guy had a barbershop. I think it was in Portland somewhere, and then he just. Um, for whatever reason, it just never crossed his mind, and he started looking into um, the licensing of fonts and just started thinking about it, and then he just got so worked up, and he and he wrote me and was just like, I really want to know how to make this right. And I was just like, you know what?
0: Like he had used your font before had, but didn't know that he had gotten a pirated copy or something Absolutely, like that. Okay. and
1: so I was just like, man, I, I don't even think I charged him. I was just like, I just appreciate you um, caring about it. It's yours. Keep it, you know?
0: <laughs> so... You came back to Amarillo several years ago in search of uh, maybe a better sense of community, um, a, a healthier place, and then you ended up a teacher and you ended up creating fonts and, and doing all these different things. You know, was looking back on that, uh, do, do you feel like that was sort of a transformative decision that you made to to come back here?
1: I know that it was a transformative decision, just decision just kind of holistically and just where my life has ended up right now. Um, and in some ways I could look at it that in a negative way. Like I know, you know, I, I know financially I could be making more money, but, um, working somewhere, but the things that matter, I think it was, it, it's, it's turned out to be a good decision. I don't, I don't love the reasons for me having come back, you know, nobody wants to move back for something like that. I would say probably, you know, I wanted to paint it nicely earlier, but probably 70% of the decision was just me dealing with this darkness within myself. But I think absolutely it was a transformative decision. Um, So when I came back, I started playing in worship bands. um, And and I've made some of my closest friends um, who I call brothers um, through that avenue. I got closer with my family. Um, like Because I feel like if you leave right after high school – in there there's a seven-year gap, like, you're not the same person. Yeah. Like
0: uh, that. There's a lot of life change that happens in those years.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so, like, almost everything I do on a day-to-day basis, there's a really, really large, tangible connection between what I'm doing and some other part of my you life. You look at,
0: at how it has grown, it goes back to, like, a decision to, well, I'll, I'll come back home and see what happens, maybe for mental health purposes or whatever, but everything kind of grows from that.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's grown in a really great way. Like, so right now I don't really, I don't know where, I don't know where I go from here. I mean, because there have been many, many moments, um, in the last eight years or so, um, where I was right on the brink of moving back to Dallas because I actually love Dallas. It's, it's, it's great down there. Um, and I also could really, really envision myself living somewhere like Colorado, I don't know, but I can definitely see myself um, moving um, if the opportunities were right. I mean I've had several opportunities in the last three years where people were ready um, and for one reason or another it's just like no, this is not the right decision. this is not the right time. I've got too much here that I love. even you know my little group um, of people that I play uh, play with um on our worship bandit church. yeah, I go to church, but i' I was just fine for seven or eight years not going to church like uh, this building is not really mean anything to me but this relationship with these people that I play with is was a thing that I think kind of uh has dragged me out of some real dark spaces and not not on purpose either I didn't just say hey I'm in a dark place I'm yeah. gonna play music I need you guys to drag me out they drug me out and I played and it was like it just gradually um that brings me back up to a place of uh, relative
0: peace <laughs> Hey, it's Jason, and instead of a sponsor or support message here, I want to end 2018 or start 2019, depending on when you listen to this, by asking you to do something. Number one, if you like this podcast, leave a review of it. Go to Apple Podcasts, find the Hey feed, and scroll down to the section that's called Ratings and Reviews, and write a review. Give it some stars, however many you want. Write a short review of what you like about the show or what you don't like about the show or what you would like to see in the show, whatever. Just write about it. You can do the same thing on our Facebook page too. I'd love that. These types of reviews help other people find the show. Number two, I I know that some listeners listen to every single episode that comes out. And I love that. That means so much to me. But other people listen only when the guest is somebody they know. Well, that's cool too, but what I want to ask you to do is to dig back through the archives and listen to an episode featuring someone you don't know. You can hear Nell Newton talk about her church community. Listen to Savannah Gates talk about her farming startup, or Matt Darby talk about jockey silks. Check out the episode with Abby Sonkar of Amarillo Club, or with best-selling romance author Jody Thomas. I promise, whether you care about jockeys or farming, or romance novels, or any of that stuff. All of those episodes, all of those people are interesting. I know. I was there. Thank you for listening. Okay, I'm back with Derek Weathersby, typography designer, graphic designer, teacher of graphic design, artist, musician. Um, Derek, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Uh, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you'd like to, Sounds uh, good. preferably some detail. Um, so here, the first one is just for you. I've not asked anybody else this. Other than any of your own, what is your favorite font?
1: Um, it's called Paperback. It's a typeface that was designed um, by House Industries. It, if anybody doesn't know, it's, it's a serif typeface, which which really just means it's got feet on it, for yeah. <laughs> lack of a better term. Um, it's It looks awesome in text, but if you zoom in really close, there's these nasty, nasty cuts in it that looks like somebody just took a, a knife to it, um, and all that stuff is deliberate. So that's my favorite typeface. Um, but being a typographer, I have to give my favorite sans serif typeface as well. Okay. And look this up, guys. you got to know this. Somebody look this up. A sans serif typeface um, is a one called Proxima Nova, created by a guy named uh mark simonson just a beautiful typeface that you can use uh for most any purpose and it's going to look good
0: <laughs> what's the most overrated font in your opinion
1: this is really difficult for me because i honestly think that most typefaces and fonts are, are underrated even things like comic sans um yeah I that's think a bold opinion
0: if it, you're going to praise comic sans
1: i know and a lot of people uh like to to dish on comic sans but i will always uh, uh, issue this challenge um you know what? I'll give you Helvetica, and you give me Comic Sans, and I will, <laughs> and I'll take you out. <laughs> um, I would say probably I, I could give probably some some like the most overused typefaces, and maybe overrated Ariel. I, if you look up the history of the typeface of Ariel, it all it really is is a fake Helvetica. Um, Helvetica is a typeface that's at this point on most of your computers as is Arial you know just uh, using type on a day to day basis you probably will never notice it um, but if you look really closely at Arial there's a bunch of really weird arbitrary decisions and angles that are put in there that actually make the typeface um, very uh, unattractive and you, the reason the reason for that is that the only reason why it was changed was for the sake of changing it Yeah. Um, and the point was if you had a typeface set in Helvetica um, you could change it to Arial and everything would stay exactly the same. No line breaks would change. This was, you know, in the the early 80s when this took place. And I, I will say this. If you're going to use really, if you want something to have really um, a really bold presence, please don't use a typeface called Impact because that is everyone's default when they want to use typeface that has that's really bold. For and like thick. a sports logo, absolutely, and it things is. Like that. And the reason for that is is not because of anything any inherently wrong with that typeface. It's just that it is so overused that it, it just looks generic.
0: How do you describe Amarillo to family members or clients or, or somebody outside this area? Um,
1: it is a place. Where if you need help for pretty much anything, you're gonna find that help because it is such a close knit uh, group of people, um, and is a group of people who really love to help each other. I mean, it is a place uh, built on love, and I, and I also would, I think I would describe that. I would describe Amarillo as still, even though we're growing, um, kind of a good old boy town. A lot of people know what's going on in other people's life, even if they even if they never met them. Um, Amarillo is a place where, um, if you first come, if you just stop through Amarillo, for example, it might seem like a place that you don't want to hang around. Like it might have this sort of repellent quality just because, you know, it's not the prettiest place, you know, um, from a nature standpoint. It's a place that you got to give it a little bit of time to really um, appreciate. If, if you really dig in, there are so many communities of, People who are actually trying to make, uh, you know, trying to make positive changes within our city, and not, not that's not to say that our city is terrible because it's not. It's again, there's the reason why I've come back here. I always hear this: um, there's no jobs for designers in Amarillo. That's not really true. There are not very many listings for jobs for graphic designers in Amarillo, but there are tons of jobs in Amarillo which, um, in which the person working there is doing graphic design. One of the best examples I can think of is, okay, Amarillo has a lot of churches. Um, Sure. And most of those positions are not listed as graphic designers. Um, Amarillo has quite a few print shops, and the people working there, they are doing graphic design. They don't know it, Um, um, and the people listening to jobs don't know it, but there are quite a lot of graphic design jobs. It's just the case that because of the failure of, you know, largely the failure of graphic designers to educate people about what it is that we do, um, people don't really know what that is, and they don't know that this person um, working for them is actually doing this really, really specialized, awesome uh, thing.
0: In fact, I mean, some of the best graphic designers in Amarillo have a background with churches, or have have started in that environment, or have that's been their first job out of college, or something. There's, Absolutely, there's a lot of of that kind of heritage here.
1: And, and this is again a kind of tangential of that, but the same thing is true of musicians. Mm-hmm. Church musicians are. <laughs> they can really uh, they can really step into roles really well because you know the job of a church musician um, yeah you, you you know you want to play well but you also have to be really non-distracting so you got to be really tight on your game yep. um, so some of the best musicians I know actually all the best musicians that I know personally they have at some point played in the context of a church
0: band. What does this area have too much of? Churches <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, uh, <laughs> we don't have
0: enough graphic designers coming out of the churches, but we do I know we do have too many churches.
1: um no, that's, tell me why you say that that's I, that's kind of a it's, it's kind of a joke, but but there's something behind that in that you know I, I feel like um, a lot of people are not open enough to the opinions of other people or if someone does not have the exact sort of orthodox as another person, then automatically uh, conversations are shut off when in fact uh, most people, really share the same core set of values and even if we don't call it the same thing and if we don't call this 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 thing we worship uh, the same by the same name, we all really um, share a lot more in common. And I think that most people have some sort of spiritual element to them, whether they call it that or not. Um, so I, I don't think we necessarily have too many churches. I do think we maybe have too many people who are saying the same things and are not considering the viewpoints of other people and considering them just as valid. Like I, I know this is meant to be a really um, a short answer thing, but I had a really amazing discussion with a, with a group of people this past weekend where we were half of us were Christian, half of us um, had no specific um, religious or, you know, spiritual um, connection. And we were talking about how Buddhism, for example, the practice of some, some Buddhist practices um, could really enhance our, you know, practice of Christianity. Um, so that that's, what, I guess that's what I mean by that.
0: What does this area not have enough of?
1: Safe areas to ride a bike okay. where you're not going to get run over. <laughs>
0: um, that's, I mean, that's, that's a difference between, let's say, Dallas and Amarillo. Dallas has much more investment or planning, city planning that allowed for bike paths.
1: Absolutely. And and I see this a lot more... when I'm when I'm riding uh, when I'm biking, and i and I'll I'll tend to sort of swing back to areas not on purpose, but I tend to swing back toward areas where I've either lived or gone to school or have some connection. So I'll end up riding over um you know into the north side by my own house and there are times when I've you know there's nowhere for me to go and so of course, I'll ride on the street, but people people here don't you know that's not something that people are accustomed to doing yeah, is not always
0: watching for you,
1: yeah, you know that's not my biggest
0: you know? no, that's a legit thing um. When was the last time you went to Paladuro Canyon?
1: Probably a couple of years ago, um, it would have been with my brother. I, yeah, I know what it was. My brother and I went out there um, with bikes in in the back of the truck, and we were planning on just riding um, for an hour or two. And then when we got out there, um, our bikes were flat. But we weren't just gonna go home um so instead um the thing that we were gonna bike we just ended up running so like eight or nine miles later wow. you know, we, we got back to the truck
0: what's your uh what's your favorite local coffee shop
1: i would have to say evocation um the drinks that i've had from there are different enough from what i typically drink um that i can appreciate it like i, I think when i the last time i went there The coffee that I got was just a a much more acidic version, a much more acidic coffee than I, you know, I typically drink, and and it was its own thing. Um, When I'm brewing coffee at home, you know, I'm making Starbucks Sumatra and really, really strong to the point where most people who come to my house are like, "What is this oil?"
0: (laughs) It's 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 a good smoky kind of coffee, which isn't always loved by people who really know. Coffee.
1: Yeah, well, and see that then this is a this is a debate that I have with people because I've been drinking coffee since this sounds like an exaggeration, but I've been drinking coffee since I'm 33 years old. I've been drinking coffee for 32 years. It's it's a terrible thing, but I you know my we drank coffee out of bottles, and I don't know what what would fit into that decision, so. You know, I t- I, t- I put a little bit of a value in my opinion of uh, of coffee flavors, but I would say evocation because they have some really nice, uh, you know, mixed copies. But I typically drink my coffee black. So.
0: Okay, what's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather?
1: I love summer. Um, I, you know, I don't love it when it's 110 for 12 days straight necessarily, but you know, I really do love summer. And, it, you know, if it gets cold, I'd prefer that it be, snow, be snowy. I hate for it to just be frigging cold. Not and, just cold and blustery. Yeah. I love summer because I've always uh, loved just going to the lake and just sweating it out, you know.
0: Last question. What's your favorite park in Amarillo?
1: I think I would have to say um, Med Park. Uh, there, especially now that I've got kids and they've they've made that aw- the awesome uh, new playground over there. Yeah. Uh, it's got the uh, it's got It's the a place.
0: big playground.
1: Oh yeah, it's awesome. Um, and I also have some pretty fond memories of that place from when we were young. When when it, when it would snow when I was young, um, we would always get um, we would pull out the. We we'll pull out the sled or trash cans or yeah. whatever plastic things and go sliding down, uh, you know, on that far north end of it.
0: Not a lot of places that have hills in Amarillo, but that's one of them.
1: That's one of them. And my brother and I were actually pretty—we're uh, kind of a terror in there. We have, like, on more than one occasion, we would be flying down that hill on a sled, and we would take—I don't know why it would happen—but we would like take out a little kid or <laughs> some or some mom walking <laughs> across there.
0: Um, okay, so that, that concludes the uh, eight straight questions. Derek, I'd like to end by asking my guests to endorse something locally. So what is what is a local thing or experience that you would want other people to know about?
1: I guess I would really just like for um, our city and people who are who own businesses um, to just really embrace this new crop and culture of people. Um, and, and a lot of it is young people, but not necessarily young people. Um you know, it's the kind of people I come across um, working at AC who don't necessarily fit uh, politically um, or socially um, within, you know, the opinions of, of you know, what Amarillo um, or, you know, a good majority of Amarillo has, has, you know, has been, you know, just a really conservative place, which I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but there are a lot of things that, you know, could, you know, could use some reconsidering. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of um, really well-intentioned and um, emotionally mature, um, authentic people who are of different opinions um, than what's kind of driven the city for a long time who who really want to make things better. And it's a thing that has you know, that's always troubled me, this idea that if you want to make a place better and you, if you have any beef with a the place, and that means like you're anti that place. You know, like I love, like I said, I love Amarillo. There's lots of things I would like to change about it, but I would really love it if If people would like stop using terms like millennial uh, derogatory in a sort of derogatory manner, because what does that even mean? You know, I know some, I know people who are twenty three years old who have amazing work ethic, and I know that's a thing. You know, typically when you hear that sort of discussion, it's like it's not based upon age. You know, it's just based upon how a person was raised. So I just really wish people would. um, If you're a business hiring someone, for example. You know, don't look for someone who makes you feel comfortable. You know, like you're never going to have to change anything. Don't look for someone who thinks exactly like you do. Look for someone who's passionate and who is who's intelligent. Yeah, that's going to be a good asset. Look, you know, look for somebody who who's going to work hard. You know, the things that we've always valued, you know, um, those things still exist um, in our younger generations, and I think that's something that a lot of people just come to believe is not true.
0: Derek Weathersby, thank you for being on the Hey Amarillo podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Derek for the conversation. You can learn more about his work at DerekWeathersby.com. That's Weathers and then B-E-E. Or at WeathersbyType.com. Thanks also to SKP Creative and Sixcar for sponsoring the show through my support page at Patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. You can check that page out if you love the show and want to help me keep making episodes. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. This episode originally publishes on New Year's Eve 2018, so Happy New Year if that's when you're listening to it. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.